Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. This morning we're going to be in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 17, the book of John in chapter 17. If it's your first time here this morning, I uh, encourage you to come back next week and hear our pastor preach and uh, get a chance to meet him. I know he'd love a chance to meet you. Don't let me be your first impression. Come back next week, and, uh, and he'd love to, to get to meet you and get to know you. This morning, we're going to take a break from Mark, and we're going to be in the book of John. This, uh, this chapter we'll read in just a few minutes. John chapter 17 is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus while he was on this earth. It's not the longest prayer he ever prayed, but it's the longest prayer recorded. And, and if you remember a couple of months back, we studied in Colossians a prayer of Paul's. And that's one of the things that I, I really love to study, I love to read and, and remind myself of, is the prayers that are recorded in the Bible. And today we're going to look at this one in the book of John in chapter 17. And while it's not Christ, while it is Christ's longest recorded prayer, it's not his only prayer, several times throughout the Gospels we see Christ relying on prayer. The night before Jesus went out and started selecting his disciples, he spent the whole night in prayer. You know, several times while he was in his ministry, while he was healing, while he was teaching and preaching, he would seclude himself. He would withdraw from the people, withdraw from the disciples, and spend time alone in prayer. And several times we see him laying hands on people and praying in the Bible, praying for children. And this, this, it, was, it was evident that Jesus, the Son of God, Someone who had a connection with God unlike any other while on this earth still relied extremely heavily on prayer. He was very dependent on his relationship with his father. And prayer was the way that he, that he expressed that and that he communicated. And it's a challenge for me, while it's not the focal point of this message this morning, is, is that how prayer should be in our lives. The challenge for me is that it should be in our lives. And it should be in my life and it should be a priority in my life because it was a priority in Jesus' life. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, a prayer here in John chapter 17. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a moment right before Jesus goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane, he dismisses Judah, uh, Judas, he goes and betrays him, and in the following days is then tried, tortured, beaten, and crucified. This was probably one of the last moments Jesus had with his disciples all together on this earth. And it was, it was a very serious thing to him. The disciples didn't know what was about to happen. But Jesus Christ, he knew, being God, he knew what was about to happen. He knew the time was coming. We'll read that in just a couple minutes. This was what was on the heart of our Savior, the moments leading up to his crucifixion. This is what was, this is what was heavy on his heart. This is a chance for us to pull back the curtain and say, what was Jesus thinking about the moments before he departed the moments before he left his disciples and, and went to the cross. This, is, this was it right here. This chapter right here is what was going through the mind of Jesus. And uh, this is something that uh, maybe the disciples for, for a while may have referred to his last words. You know, maybe his last words to them before he was crucified. And as humans here even today throughout history, we give a special credence, a special importance to someone's last words, their dying words, their dying wishes. In the same way, I bet these words that we're about to read echo through the minds of the disciples in the three days that Jesus laid in the tomb. And they probably thought, man, what was the last thing Jesus said to us? And they probably remembered 
this very conversation between Jesus and God that was overheard by the disciples in their presence. So let's, let's look at, we're going to read in verse, we're going to start, we're going to read the whole chapter. It'll be a longer verse, so you can remain seated, but I want to read this responsively. So I'll start with the odd number verses. I'll read verses one, and then I ask everyone together to read verse two. And I ask you just to, to uh, try not to zone out. Let's pay attention to what's going on in the words you're reading and understand what is going on and what is on the heart of Christ at this time. We'll start in chapter 17. We'll read the 26 verses. I'll read verse 1, and you read with me verse 2, verse 4, verse 6, and so on to the end of the chapter. The Bible says this in John 17. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, and thy son also, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he shall give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, Glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came out from thee, and they believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world that I come unto thee. Holy Father, keep through, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou givest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now come I to thee, and these things I speak into the, in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they were not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. For they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, and they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou, loved, as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, who thou hast given me, 
be with me where I am, and that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for that lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, and the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for everybody who came here this morning to hear your word, and that we've, we've read it so far. I pray that you would please help us now as we, we study it, and we think about what, it, what in there is for us. And we, we think about the words that you said before leaving to the cross. I pray you please help them to be heavy in our hearts as well. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a prayer of Jesus. Like I said, it's, it's a, it, we're basically reading Christ's prayer lists before he, goes off to, before he goes off to the cross. And he gives seven spe- specific prayer requests that I want to look at this morning. Seven prayer requests of Jesus Christ. Seven things he asks will happen. He talks to God about it, says, this is my will. This is what I wish to do. This is what I want for these men. First we see he opens his prayer reaffirming his mission to bring glory to God by completing his work on earth, doing God's will on earth, accomplishing the duty that God has sent to him. And in doing, God has given him. In doing so, God has sent him certain people. The Bible says, he, he mentions it here, he says, the men which thou hast givest me, in verse 6. He's talking about this group of people who followed his call, who when he said, follow me, they followed him. This is talking specifically about these disciples, but in a broader sense, it's talking about people who have followed him, people who have answered the call. In verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. It's not that, he says, I'm not, this is a very specific prayer for a very specific group of people. I'm not praying for the entire planet, I'm not praying for every person in the world at this moment. Does it mean that God doesn't love the whole world, that Jesus didn't care about the rest of the world? No, we know that's not true. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. And does it mean that God only, or Jesus only wanted these 12 men there to follow him? Or he only desired for these 12 men to turn from their sin and follow him? No, it's not the case either. In 2 Peter 3.9, the Bible says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loves, God loves every single person in the world, and his desire is for everyone to turn from their sin, to repent, and turn to him. But, that isn't, but this specific prayer request is for a very specific group of people, the disciples. And later on he talks about the people who will be won to him by the work of the disciples. In verse 11 is where we'll find the very first prayer request that we'll talk about this morning. In verse 11, the Bible says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. He's saying, I will go. I'm not going to be here forever. I won't be on this planet. I'm about to go to the cross, and I'm about to go to my Father. He said, I'm no longer be in this world, but these men will be in the world. Those who follow me, those who listen, those who hear my message, they will remain here. In verse 11, he says, And I come to thee, Holy Father. This is his, this is his prayer request. Keep thine own name, those, sorry, keep, thy, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. And that's our first, that first prayer request that Jesus says. He wants the disciples to have unity. He says, that they may be one. The first prayer request, he's, he prays for unity among his followers. 
He prays that we have a oneness. We be of one accord, of one mind, as we see Paul say later on. And this theme reoccurs also in verse 20 and verse 22, where he says, Neither pray I for these alone, talking about not just the disciples, but for them also which shall believe for me through their word, that they may all be one, that they may all be one, as thou art in me, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Again, another theme of unity. He said, my desire is for those who follow me to have unity, to be having the same goal, to be of the same mind. And we, we, we see this is something that was heavy on Jesus' heart. You know why? Because division is so easy. It's so easy to, to, to plant division in a family, in a church, in, 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 a, in a friend group. It, division tears us apart whenever we let it. The Bible says or Jesus is saying here that it's important to have unity. He says, if, if you are following me with your whole heart, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you should be able to have unity with another person who's following hard after me and has that very same Holy Spirit inside of them. Doesn't mean we're all the same people. Doesn't mean we all have the same preferences. Doesn't mean we all have the same ideas of how things should be done. But regardless, if we are following the same Savior, and we have the same Holy Spirit, we can experience unity. Look around the room. We have, we have hundreds of people here this morning from different backgrounds, speaking maybe different languages, from different countries, live in different parts of the cities, work different jobs. But we all have a single common denominator, and that is Jesus Christ. We are all followers of Jesus Christ, and that's the reason why we're here this morning. Not because all of our best friends go to the church. Not because everyone in here is, is the perfect person. Everyone in here is sinners. But we all have a desire to follow Christ. And in that, in, while we're on the path to follow Christ, we can find unity with other people who are doing the same. And this is something that, that Christ is, his, is saying. He's saying we as Christians are to be solely focused on him. And when we are, like the disciples, when they're focused on Christ... They could live in unity. They could have that oneness. You know, we have the same Holy Spirit, and we can, we can have that same oneness. You know, Christ's desire is for unity, but that's not his only desire. If, if, if we're not careful, sometimes we can say unity at all costs. I'll change what I believe. I'll change what, the things I do in order to have unity. And many times we can think maybe if we take a step back into the world, then we can have unity with a bigger group of people. Maybe if we can change the way we do things. Maybe if I, if, I can, if I can tolerate this sin. Or if I can compromise my mission to, to, reach the, to reach the world with the gospel. If I do these things, I'll have unity with more people. But in doing that, we lose unity with Jesus Christ. And it's important that we understand that while unity is a goal, it is a priority for Christ, it's not the only priority. But if we are doing, if we are following hard after Christ... If we, our sincere desire is to be like him, to know more of him, to do his will with the same Holy Spirit inside of us, we can find unity amongst each other as Christians, as disciples, as followers of him. And this is, this is what Jesus decides to stress. Of all things, as he's leaving this planet, he says, God, I pray that they have unity, that they have oneness, because he knows how hard in the coming days the devil was going to attack. And his main his attack would be with division. He would find ways to cause splits, to cause problems, to divide us up, divide and conquer. 
But the Bible says, if we, or Jesus is saying, I want them to have unity. I want them to be guided by the same Holy Spirit, being, being following the same person, going the same direction, and having unity with the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's, that's his, first, his first request here. We'll look at the next one, in, uh, verse 12 and 13. You look at it with me. He says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. He's saying, while I was here in the world physically, while I walked and talked with the disciples, I kept them. They were, they were with me. They were protected. Those that thou hast given me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition, talking about Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak into the world. It says, I was in the world, but now I'm leaving. I won't be here anymore. He said, but these are the things I spoke that they might have the joy fulfilled, my joy fulfilled in themselves. That's the second thing that Jesus asks. He asks for his disciples to have his joy in them fulfilled. Understanding that he wasn't going to be there very long, he knew that the disciples felt a sense of, of importance and of security, that they were with Jesus. Maybe they didn't have the right, the right idea in their mind of what Jesus' mission was, but when they were with Jesus, they felt safe. They felt taken care of. They felt important. They felt that they were ready to conquer. They had a joy with, uh, in their lives. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be here very much longer, Father. But at, when I leave, I pray that you would keep, let them keep that joy in knowing who they are in me. He says, for the good of the disciples, I'm going to descend into the Father. But he says, even though my disciples aren't with me physically, even though I'm not walking and talking and serving with them, I pray that you would keep giving them the joy that they had when they served me here on this earth. And this, this kind of, this goes along with uh, verse, if you can't turn your Bibles back to, to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. He's saying, I have kept them, meaning they were secure in me. They didn't doubt me while I was here. They, didn't, they, they knew what I was about. And he said that that brought a joy in their lives. And for you and me, when we know that our home in heaven is secure, and we know that we have a perfect Savior that we'll spend an eternity with, we can experience joy outside regardless of our current situation, our current circumstances. And Jesus knew the disciples were going to go through some very bad situations and some very dangerous circumstances and very discouraging times. And he says, my, 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 my desire is for them to know that they are in my hand, that they are secure in me that I am, I am with them, and that they can have the joy that comes from that. Now let's look at John chapter 10 and verse 27, verse 29. This is another, when he preached this earlier in his ministry. He says, he answered them, I have told you already and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Uh, sorry, I'm in the wrong verse. Uh, chapter 10, verse 27, verse 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. In this way he reassures, hey, if, if you are going to be a follower of me, you don't have to worry about being plucked out of my Father's hand. There's nothing greater than my Father. He can hold you secure. And with that security, we can have joy through our lives, knowing that our, our destiny doesn't depend on the circumstances that we experience. Our, our, our eternal security doesn't depend on hard times here and now and the ups and downs that we'll experience in this life. We have that joy 
that, that joy that comes only from knowing that Christ is your Savior and you have an eternity to look forward to with him. This is, this, is what, this is what the disciples were going to need because as they continued in their ministry, they were about to be hated by the world. Let's look at verse uh, 14. He says, I have given them, in verse, chapter 17, verse 14, I have given them thy word and the, word hath, and the world hath hated them because they were not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And throughout history, the world has hated Christians. They have bucked against the followers of Christ because that shows them a mirror of, hey, your sin is in your face. You need a savior. That's something that the world has always hated. They don't want to be responsible for their own decisions, their own sin in their life. And he knew that whenever the disciples were going to leave that place, they were going to find conflict with people. They were going to find conflict with, with other religions. They were going to find conflict with government authorities because of what they were doing. Because they were not of this world, they would have been hated. And this is something that the disciples knew, or Jesus knew was necessary for the disciples. And he knew that they would need to have joy regardless of the approval of the world. Regardless of how easy the times were for them. He knew that they needed this joy and he prayed, this was his prayer. That they experienced the joy that comes with being secure in Christ. And knowing that he is with you and that you are with him. Let's look at the third thing. In verse 15, he says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. This is his third request. But that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. That they be kept from the evil. And that, and that phrase, and, and if there's a lot of other ways that you could read this. But piggybacking on Jesus' second request and then leading into his third request, he says that Jesus reiterates the desire that Christians not be just completely removed from the world as soon as they are saved. You and I, as soon as we are saved, we were removed from the world, then there would be no one else to spread the gospel, no one else to share the gospel to, to the others. But he says, I, have, uh, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. He said, don't just take them up immediately. He said, but I pray that you would be with them and continue to be with them and guide them through life's trials and guide them through life's temptations. What does the Lord's Prayer say? It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is Christ's desire for the disciples. This is Christ's desire for you and I, that we resist and flee temptation, that we be kept from the consequences of our own sin by avoiding temptation. How are you and I doing with these things how, so far? How, are we being united? Are we, are we finding oneness with others, a common denominator, in G, common denominator in Jesus Christ? Or are we constantly seeking division? Are we constantly backbiting and causing problems? And then are we, are, we, uh, are we secure? Do we have the joy of the Lord inside of us, knowing who we are in him? And then here, are we resisting and fleeing temptation? Are we actively putting it in front of our face? Are we actively doing things that, that is contrary to being kept from evil? These are, these are things that Christ wanted for his disciples, and he wants for you and I. Let's continue. We got a couple more, a couple more requests I want to get through. But how are we doing? Are we being, are we being united? Do we have unity? Do we have joy? And do we have, do we have the ability to withstand trials and temptations? That's Christ's desire for us. Let's look at the fourth thing. That's going to be in, chapter, in verse 17 and through verse 19. He says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through the truth. 
that they be sanctified through the truth is the next request that Christ prays for. Praise that the disciples be sanctified through the truth. That means that word sanctified means clean and set apart for service. It was, it was his desire to see these men who he's spent the last three years with traveling, doing miracles, feeding thousands and, and preaching the gospel, preaching his, his new kingdom to come and all these things. He prayed that these men would, would, would begin to grow in their sanctification. They would be useful for his cause. And he says, he, it's in, uh, let's turn our Bible, I'll, say, I'll read it real quick. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy. It's in the, toward the back of your Bible. This is something that we went over a couple, I believe a couple days ago in the discipleship study, is sanctification. So it might be a good reminder for many of us. But 2 Timothy in chapter 2. 2 Timothy is toward the end of your Bible, chapter 2, and verse 21. This is what the Bible says. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. He paints a picture here of being sanctified as being a vessel, something that's useful for carrying something. Probably you think of a cup or a bowl. He says, you want to be a clean vessel being ready to use by the master. Your goal is to be useful to your Savior. That should be your goal. That should be my goal. We should grow in sanctification, clean, cleaning ourselves in, in, in the way that, that would, in, in behavior and conduct that would show that we have a different purpose, a different desire than the world. Uh, we're a new creature and we have a new goal in life, not only just to please ourselves, but to please our Savior. And how many times in my life have, have I backtracked and I, my, my goals have changed and all of a sudden it's all about fulfilling my own desires and doing what I want to do and pleasing myself. And how many times have those decisions made me not a clean vessel ready for the master's use? How many different missed opportunities have I had to witness or to be a good testimony or to, to, be, to be used of the Lord but because I wasn't sanctified, I, I wasn't I wasn't of use in the way that I should have been. These are things that, that are convicting to us, but these are, this was Christ's desire for his disciples, to live a holy life, different from what the world did, doing things that are different, not because they are something special and they're perfect and they no longer have a sin nature. No, we as Christians, we still struggle with the flesh, but not, not because we're now perfect, but because we now have a new goal, a new desire, not just to please self, but to please our Savior. And in doing so, our conduct should reflect that, and we should be ready to be used by the Master. And if, if you say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm thankful Christ saved me, but I don't really want to live for him, you know, fulfilling his mission and doing what his goals are and making a priority, what he thinks is a priority is not something I really want to do. If that's your mentality, then you have a serious misunderstanding of your own sin nature and of the how much God loved you and what exactly he saved you from. If, if, if you're worth saving to him, he should be worth following to you. This is, this, is, this is the message of the gospel, and this is what Christ says. He says, once they are following me, I have a desire for them to grow and to mature in the Christian life and to become sanctified and to grow to be, to be better followers, to be more useful, to be... Uh, 
to be ready for the master's use. Is that, that way that, that Paul uses it in Timothy. Let's turn back to, to uh, John 17. But how are we doing here? Have, are, are, we, are we seeking to be sanctified? The Bible, he, he says here, the, word, the way we're sanctified is by his word. He says, thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So you want to know how you can be of use to your master, Jesus Christ? You know how you can help and, and, and seek to please the one who saved you? He said, Look, listen to his word. Study his word. And that's how you know. And, and, and a, in a crude illustration, if you've ever had to buy a gift for someone you didn't know very well, maybe a secret Santa or maybe a person you just met in their birthday party or whatever it is, you know, it's hard to know exactly what they want or what kind of things they enjoy. But imagine being handed that person's journal or scrolling through their Facebook page and you see the kinds of things they like they, and they, you see the kind of person they are. And you can, you know, better pick out a present for them. In a much greater sense, Jesus Christ is saying, you as disciples, I want you to follow me and I want you to sanctify yourselves and be useful to me. And he says, the way, the way I want you to do that is by studying and listening to my word. I want you to know my heart for you. I want you to know my, the mind of God that's what Jesus Christ wants and that we do that through his word. How are we doing there? Are we fulfilling this prayer request of Jesus Christ to be sanctified by being in his word, studying it, memorizing it, meditating on it? These are all challenges for me and convicting for me that I don't, I don't do it as much as I should either. But this should be our goal as Christians, to become sanctified, ready to be used by the master. Let's look at the next thing. Number five, we'll look in verse 21 and verse 23. This is what Christ asks. He says, that they, may all be, that they all may be one, again, for unity. As the Father art in me, and I in thee, that thou also may be one in us. And this is the next thing. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them. That they may be one, even as we are. In verse 23, I in them and thou in me, that they may be, me, that be, they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. This is the next thing that Christ had a desire for. He says that the world may believe. He says it again, that the world may know the gospel. What's the gospel? That God has sent Jesus. He loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this is verse 20. Verse 20 says, it says, I don't pray for just these disciples. They've already followed, decided to follow me. He says, and they're in my hand. No man can pluck them out. I'm not, I'm not praying for these disciples anymore. Now I'm praying for those who will hear the gospel secondhand. That's you and me. Jesus shifts here from saying, I'm praying for the disciples. So he says, I'm here praying for you. I'm praying for those who will hear the gospel from the disciples. Be, as a result of the thousands and millions of Christians throughout history who heard the gospel and didn't let it stop with them and continue to preach and continue to teach and continue to publish the gospel around the world, the good news of the gospel. This is what Christ's desire was, for the world to know the gospel, for the world to know about him, how much he loves them and how much he, ha he wants them to turn from their sin and follow him. And this is, this is, the em this is what Christ emphasizes here as he, as he is about to go on. And this is one of the last things he tells the disciples before he leaves is go and preach the gospel to every creature. And I'm so thankful that growing up I had parents, I had Sunday school teachers, I had a youth pastor, I had mentors 
who encouraged me not to let me get stuck in my own little world. What's going on with me right now, right here? But to think about the broader scheme, that there's an entire world that needs the gospel, and that'll die and go to hell without it. That, and that's not, it's not my responsibility to tell every single person, but it's my responsibility to tell everybody that I can. And that's your responsibility as well. And I, I'm so thankful for our church who, who does Faith Promise Missions. I encourage you to get involved in that. I encourage you to get involved in Saturday outreach. Go on a missions trip. Witness to a friend or a family member or a coworker. Do what you can so that that line of the gospel that made its way from the lips of the disciples doesn't end with you. That you tell somebody else. That you share the gospel. And it's not your responsibility to, to, for people to come to Christ, but it is your responsibility for you to tell them about Christ. And that's my responsibility as well. And this is what Christ decides to emphasize. Let's look at the next thing. We'll, we'll be done in just a couple minutes. Verse 24. Verse 24, he says, Father, I will that thou also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And he says, that they may behold my glory. That is, that is the next prayer request. That the disciples and those of us who have accepted Christ will one day be with him forever, for eternity. And we'll spend eternity with the Savior, of our, of our, our Savior who died for our sins. Who saved us when we were unlovable and, un, and unlovely, died on the cross for us so that we did not have to spend an eternity in hell. That we had a way out. We had someone who took our punishment for us. And that's Jesus Christ. And he says, my desire is to spend an eternity with these people. Those who have answered the call. And those who followed me. And those who said, I turn from my sin and I want to follow Christ. Just like these disciples here. And, the many of, and all of us and everyone who, throughout history who have dis- made, that decision, <clears throat> sorry, made that decision and followed him. He said, I am excited. I'm looking forward to spending an eternity with them. And think about that. Jesus is excited for heaven because you will be there. Imagine, imagine how many times we forget. We think of heaven as a place in the clouds that we go and we just kind of lay around and do nothing. But Christ is excited to spend eternity with us. And I'm thankful for a God who, who made heaven. Let's look at, real quick, let's turn back one page to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, the very famous passage of scripture. Verse 1 through 6. This is Christ telling the disciples that he won't always be here on this earth. He's going to go to heaven. And later he wants them to join. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. He said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you with me. That where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, We know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by thee, but by me. And this is, this is what Christ's desire was. He says, I am looking forward to spending an eternity in heaven. And he wants you to be there. And his, disciple, his, his will, his desire is for every Christian to be there. Every, every person in the world to be there. Everyone who is willing to accept him, he desires to spend an eternity with them. And that's, that's something that, that's convicting to me and that how little I actually think of heaven. I can become so wrapped up in this world 
that I, I, I think I forget to think about what heaven's going to be like and looking forward to being reunited, not just with loved ones, not just with you know, dog, childhood dog, but with my Savior, with, with the person who saved me from my sins. Let's look at verse 26. We'll close here. The Bible says, And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. And that's the, the seventh thing that Christ prays for, is that the love of God will be in them. He prays that the love of God that they've experienced, what they know of God's love, will shine through them to others. And it'll be known, it will be known for who we are, for our love. And when we understand the love that God has for us, and the love that God has for you at your worst, it's not possible to hate your brother. It's not possible to hate someone else. It's not, it's not possible to be that, that person who is forgiven much and then turns to his neighbor and requires reimbursement for something insignificant. This is, when we understand the love of God, we can't help but display that love to others. And this is what Christ's desire is for the disciples, and this is what Christ's desire is for you and me. You know, while I, was, while I was thinking about this, this means that God loves the person I hate most in the world just as much as he loves me. And God's desire is to spend eternity in heaven with that person just as much as he wants to spend it with me. In my mind, I think, no, no, I'm much better than that person. I'm much better than this group of people. I'm much better. But not in God's eyes. In God's eyes, we are all miserable sinners. And we all we, he, saved, he, he reached out his hand and offered to save everyone, offered to redeem and die for the sins of the world. But for me, I sometimes think, no, God saved me because I'm special. God saved me because I'm actually a pretty good person. That's not the case. And whenever we realize that God's love is just as much towards you, toward your Uber driver, and toward that person at the counter, and toward that person who's really angry with you at work and being, being messed up, all, whatever it is, when you realize God loves them just as much as he loves you, then your, your actions toward others change. And you display the love of Christ, the love of God to others. How we treat others with intrinsic value because God loves them should change, well, how we, or how we think of others should change how we treat others. You and I don't have the power in our own sin nature, in our own selfishness to love people who hate us, to do good to those who do wrong to us. But Jesus Christ and God's love, we, we've seen that displayed over and over toward us. And we can turn around and display that toward others. That's Christ's des desire for us. And he says also in that last couple words, he says, and I in them. Saying that we, the world should look at us and they should see Jesus because of our love for others. Because we show the love of God to others. That should be our desire because that was Christ's desire. So just in conclusion, let's think, how are we doing here? If this is Christ's prayer list for you, and, and, and we just read it together, and we, we thought about, we, we read through many of the requests. How are we doing? What, what are we doing to fulfill some of these prayer requests? Are we, being, are we having unity? Do we have joy and security knowing that we are a child of God, and whatever in this world can happen to us can happen? And like Brother Efren said, that's, that's one small piece of the rope. We have eternity to spend with Christ. He said, whatever happens, happens. That's not going to take away our joy because we are secure in Christ. And we, next, do we, do we seek to flee and to resist temptation? Do we set our lives apart to be used by God 
changing our conduct to be different from the world's in order to win the world? Do we, do we have a desire for the, word, for the world to know God? Do we, do we share the gospel with others? Do we preach? Are we a, a testimony, a good reputation for him? And do we look forward to spending eternity with Christ? And then lastly, do we show the love of God to others, the love of God that we've personally experienced? These, these are things that I want us to think about as, as we go from this place. How are we doing here fulfilling Christ's prayer list, one of his last prayers here with his disciples? Are we doing these things? Are we unified? Are we, are we, do we have the desire even to fulfill the God's prayer list? If not, if, if you're in here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you're not a child of God yet and you don't really know what that takes, me and many other people in this room would love to get a chance to explain that to you. Right now, in just a few minutes, or maybe after the service, you come and see me. I would love to explain that to you.